You can't fly without supply. We in the unglamorous Air Force Specialty Code 645XX used to say, while a truism, it didn't make up for the fact that we didn't get to wear the Tom Cruise Top Gun flight suits, nor go zooming around the skies in a maintenance hog fighter plane. But it was 1969. That's what the Air Force needed. So it was a Big Ten University flunk out, off to basic training, and supply technical school is where I went. Following in the footsteps of four of my high school best friends, I decided to take charge of my fate by joining the Air Force rather than subjecting myself to the vagaries of the draft. Whether my four football buds bothered to research potential Air Force careers, or whether they just signed up like I did, is unknown to me. Three mechanics, one radio broadcaster, and one supply guy. Of the five, only one made his military job a civilian occupation. Teddy still bends wrenches, but on high-end private jets now. Of the five, Two wound up with military careers, both in the National Guard. Bill, retiring as Senior Master Sergeant with the Maine Air National Guard, and me, abandoning the Air Force or the Army National Guard, retiring as a Major General after nearly 36 years of service. Three of us wound up serving at the same time on the same volcanic outcropping of a Pacific island. What are the odds of three guys from the 75-member Sandwich, Illinois High School class of 1967 serving on Okinawa at the same time? Located about 400 miles southwest of the Japanese main islands, Okinawa today, with nearly 26,000 U.S. military members, houses about 70% of U.S. military members assigned to Japan. That number is about half the number assigned during the Vietnam War when Okinawa served two primary strategic purposes. One, to act as a check on communist China, and two, as a major support station for the Vietnam War. Okinawans, uh, then and now, greatly resented the U.S. forces. The American military occupies great swaths of land on the 90-mile-long island, and the all-too-frequent boisterous behavior of young American service members creates friction with the islanders. With nearly 50,000 soldiers, airmen, sailors, and Marines, and an additional 50,000 dependents stationed on the island during the Vietnam War, tensions often ran high. With the majority of Japanese and Okinawan citizens opposed to the Vietnam War, picketers and strikers occasionally forced the closure of Kadena Air Base gates. Although a supply sergeant assigned to the 824th Combat Support Group and tasked with getting aircraft parts to the KC-135 refueling aircraft, which were constantly in the air keeping fighters and bombers over Vietnam refueled, my additional assigned duty was as an auxiliary military policeman, protecting the base during the protests. With a few hours' training, we were equipped with face shields, helmets, truncheons, and a canvas-pouched gas mask on a web belt. The gas mask strategically placed over the groin to protect sensitive areas. Since the picketers were armed only with six-foot-long bamboo cudgels, the Air Force was smart enough to limit our weapons to our wooden truncheons. 
As auxiliaries, we provided a rapid reaction reserve force, should the gates be breached. We spent hours sitting on blue Air Force buses, parked on the flight line, playing cards, reading paperbacks and playboys, smoking cigarettes, and one really crazy MP assigned to us to provide some small dose of MP training. Now, you may think I jest in calling the MP crazy. He was, in fact, crazy. A canine cop, he communicated only with his German shepherd. Some months after the blue bus episode, while guarding an alert aircraft, armed with an M-16 and his dog, he took the aircraft hostage while demanding that he be discharged from the Air Force. Last I heard, after a several-hour standoff, he turned over his M-16 and the dog and the aircraft and was promptly medically evacuated to a psychiatric unit in Japan. Never heard of him again. As a general rule, the most hazardous parts of duty in Okinawa were the taxi drivers, who loved nothing better than seeing how close they could come to striking American GIs, and then the drunken Marines, who did love striking American GIs. The KC-135s generally landed in the early evening after their missions refueling Vietnam-bound warplanes. The mechanics immediately set to preparing the planes for the next day's missions. After hours in the air over the Pacific, the four-engine fuel haulers inevitably broke something critical to keeping the bird in the sky. Each evening, the phone lines buzzed and the flight line radios crackled, with the voices of the mechanics demanding an instant response from us to keep the mission-essential planes ready to fly. One cool spring evening, the urgency on the radio cranked several notches higher. What the hell? Somebody's shooting at us! Now, we're roughly 1,500 miles from Vietnam. What the hell indeed? The MPs on the flight line, guarding not only the KC-135s, but also the F-4 fighters, locked and loaded to prevent Chinese incursions, as well as the super-secret SR-71 Habu spy planes, were screaming for backup. The Habus were, of course, not there. Even though civilians could be seen at the end of the runways photographing them, their presence on Okinawa was classified, and we couldn't talk about them. So they weren't there. And I'm not telling you they were there. The snipers were on top of a jungled hill on the golf course overlooking the flight line. As the attack unfolded in real time on our radios, I realized we were but a few hundred yards away from the attackers, sitting unarmed in an unprotected warehouse with gaping 12-foot-wide doors blocked open to ventilate the heat from our aging computer terminals, radios, and fatigue-clad bodies. As the half-dozen young airmen glanced around at each other, I realized the precariousness of our situation, jumped up and ran to the doors, heaving them closed and bolting them. It wasn't much, but at least I'd done something to secure our location. The radios grew quiet as MP canine teams surrounded the hill searching for the intruders. The next day, we were told the snipers escaped with our only casualty one of the canine dogs. Rumor had it that the snipers were Japanese communists who had flown into the island on civilian airplanes to mount the attack in solidarity with their North Vietnamese brothers. Needless to say, with the daily toll in Vietnam, not to mention mining Haiphong Harbor and bombing Cambodia, one dead dog in Okinawa didn't make the Stars and Stripes. Music